For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me here on this Wednesday, Hump Day. We are in the middle of this week. We've survived so far. Let's see if we can make it to the finish line. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also, the email address here is Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Send me a note. Let me know what's on your mind, especially as we're heading into the midterm elections. I would love to hear from you. So talk to me, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Okay, on Friday, we've got a big show planned. We're going to cover something on Friday that the left is doing under the radar, which is actually undermining our democracy. Now, you know how the left is constantly screaming about all of us that we are undermining democracy. They love to yell about that. And in fact, the Washington Post tagline is, democracy dies in darkness. Of course, they are the darkness. They are the ones who are burying the truth constantly, hand in glove with big tech. Um, But of course, they're masters of projection. So they accuse us of what they themselves are guilty of doing. Um, But on Friday, I want to peel apart the layers of an onion of an issue that nobody is really talking about, and it's really flying under the radar 
But it's yet again one of these shady maneuvers that the left is doing to undermine our elections and undermine the very fabric of our representative government. No one else is breathing life into this except one person, and we are going to have him join us on Friday. This is a story that you're probably not going to get anywhere else but here on the Monica Crowley podcast, which is why you come here. So we are going to break all of this apart on Friday. It's something that you need to know. So tune in as always. Well, today I want to deal with the latest from the real president as opposed to the nominal president. That's something that you also probably haven't heard anywhere else. I'm going to bring that to you. And today we are going to get a full report on the economy where we are in this uh, Biden catastrophe and where we are going, we're going to be joined by President Trump's chief economic advisor and my longtime friend, Larry Kudlow. Larry will be here to break down all of the economic indicators for us. And you know what? If Donald Trump wins again, Larry may very well be the nation's treasury secretary. So you will get it all here first, right from the horse's mouth. Plus, your email's coming up, too. But first, the Monica memo. Tulsi takes a powder. Tulsi Gabbard, longtime Democrat, representative from the great state of Hawaii. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard has decided to exit the Democratic Party. She has said in the last 24 hours that she can no longer, in good conscience, continue with an insane political party. Listen to her last night with Tucker. As you know, I've, I've always been an independent-minded person, a Democrat, yes, but an independent Democrat. And my loyalties are very clear. I love our country. And I took an oath both as a service member, as a soldier, as well as as a member of Congress to support and defend the Constitution. And that's an oath that I take extremely seriously. And so when you look at this party, the the today's Democratic Party, it's controlled by fanatical ideologues who hate freedom. They despise the Constitution. They actively find ways to undermine our God-given rights enshrined in the Constitution, like freedom of speech. If you say something and I say something that they don't like, instead of saying, you know what, agree to disagree, live and let live in the traditional liberalist kind of way, no. That's not good enough. They will do all that they can to destroy you, silence you, smear you, work with big tech, work with corporate media to actively destroy anyone who dares to even question their agenda. They are against freedom of religion. They are hostile towards people of faith, people who have their own spiritual practice, especially Christians, finding ways to uh, be vindictive, to discriminate, to punish people who happen to exercise that freedom of religion. The list goes on and on, but the foundation of freedom is really what was at the heart of my making this decision, that I cannot be a member of a party that is against freedom and actively trying to undermine it. Well, good for her. It takes a lot of courage, guys, to do this. And I I know she is a longtime politician, and I know that she is not perfect, Um, She is pro-choice, and there are some other things on the Democratic slate that she still embraces. But I have to tell you, do not let the search for the perfect be the enemy of the good. We are in an existential fight for this country, for freedom, for Western civilization. 
So I will take all comers. I don't care what their race is. I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care if they're former Democrats or former communists. I don't care. If they have seen the light and they are willing to join us in this fight for the country, I'm all for it. I embrace all. If you have freedom and liberty, the American experiment that you want to preserve and you are willing to go to the mattresses for this country as we are, then I embrace you. I welcome you. You know, she hasn't said that she's going to join the Republicans yet. She has just said that she is leaving the Democratic Party. And I really believe it takes, first of all, it takes a lot of political courage for someone like Tulsi Gabbard to do this number one. It also takes a lot of emotional and psychological fortitude to change your party affiliation. Don't poo-poo this point. This is a really important point, guys. Listen closely here. Most people end up voting a certain way because their parents do. They're raised in a political culture in their family. Or if that's not the case, then maybe it's their peer group, you know, in high school and college and your first vote and you go the way all of your friends are going and they're all products of their parents or their family and how they voted. In other words, it's more of a like cultural thing than say intellectual. I don't mean to downplay the intellectual part of a party affiliation or how you vote. That's certainly part of it. But I I think it's more so, it's like an impression, right? It's an impression on you that's made from a young age because of the people who surround you and how they vote. And then it becomes a peer group and how they vote. And then it just sort of becomes routine. As you become an adult, you you vote a certain way because it's how you've always done it. And, you know, I think that's a huge part of all of this calculation, I've said to you guys on this podcast before that, um, you know, so many, like, let's say New York Democrats, for example, and I'm surrounded by a million of them, they will continue, they, they will, they will complain, they will bitch and moan about Biden and the catastrophe that's happening in every direction. They will complain about that all day long. But then when you say, oh, great, you know, so you've seen the light, you'll be voting Republican, right? Oh, no, can't do that. Would never vote Republican. Republican has been so smeared and tarred for decades, first as the country club and now as a bunch of crooks and the the deep state has attacked all of us. But, you know, we've talked about Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, certainly Donald Trump, the biggest of them all, that they have had them in the crosshairs. And so because they've got the amplification of the press, they've succeeded over decades in smearing and basically destroying the Republican Party and the Republican name as anything good and decent. So people who might disagree with what the Democrats are doing, they have been so brainwashed into thinking that the GOP is some horrible party and organization that while they hate what the Democrats are doing, they can't bring themselves to vote Republican. It's like a cultural thing. It's a psychological thing. It's an emotional thing. It is an impression on people's psyches. 
Okay. So while we like to think, well, if we just go out there and talk about our great policies, we'll win. No, (laughs) it does not work that way. You've got to understand human psychology. Human psychology is very complicated, as we all know. So uh, my bigger point here is that what Tulsi Gabbard has done, and maybe it's for political reasons, I'm going to get into that in in a second here, but regardless of what her motivation is, it takes a lot for people to move off of where they have been indoctrinated and what they think they believe for a long time. It takes a lot for them to get off of that and move in a different direction. So I've got huge respect for Tulsi Gabbard and what she has done because it does, it, it's, it's like your identity right? It's like if someone is fired or laid off and that job has been their identity, they're shattered by that. And it's the same thing with a political affiliation. If that's been part of your identity for decades, years on end, to get yourself psychologically and intellectually and emotionally to look at it in a different way and then pick up stakes, and it actually requires work, to, to change your party affiliation and your voter ID, right? You, you've got to actually go down there or mail it in and say, I want to change my party affiliation. It requires work. You can't be lazy about it. So in order to make that change, it requires a lot. So be sympathetic to people who are thinking about it. You know, be, be gentle with them in terms of trying to persuade them. Have care with them. Because it is a huge process and it really does take a lot. And I've got big, big respect, big props for Tulsi Gabbard and anybody else who is making this journey. All of these Latino voters who are coming to the GOP, God bless you. We welcome you. We thank you. We appreciate the journey you've been on. Really, it is a big, big deal. So Tulsi Gabbard is is now taking this journey and I want to make a couple of points about this, okay? Um, Mrs. Clinton has spent now the last couple of years trying to paint Tulsi Gabbard as a Russian asset, smeared her in the worst, most vicious way as a traitor to her country. Why? Because Tulsi did not toe the party line. Because Tulsi is an independent thinker. Can't have that. Because Tulsi could not be controlled. Mrs. Clinton and the entire deep state cannot control Tulsi Gabbard. Because she was an outsider. Because she remains an outsider. Because they couldn't corral her back into the fold. Because Tulsi Gabbard did not owe them anything. Because she was beholden to no one. Sound familiar? It's a version of the Trump model. And like him, and for the exact same reasons, they had to destroy her. So therefore, Russian asset, the same smear that they've used against Donald Trump this whole time. Now that whole narrative is falling apart, completely falling apart. The FBI lied to everyone, including the FISA court. They made up the entire Russia hoax along with Mrs. Clinton. And it goes on, even though the whole thing is falling apart. And of course, the propaganda press that pushed it all these years and crippled the presidency and crippled the country, 
now not a word about all the lies that are unraveling in court and, uh, in, and with uh, Freedom of Information Act requests and all of this data and the facts coming out. But I digress. They had to destroy Trump because he was an outsider. They could not control who was concerned about America and wanted to actually solve its problems. Tulsi Gabbard, same thing. And so they smeared her and attacked her with the exact same lie. There is a reason why Mrs. Clinton is behind the Russia hoax attacks against both President Trump and Tulsi Gabbard and others. She really is the root of all evil. But none of this is a coincidence. It's all an orchestrated deep state attack with Mrs. Clinton, the evil tip of the spear. But just as Donald Trump has survived the onslaught, at least so far, so has Tulsi, which drives them even crazier. They don't just want to marginalize you as a political force. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy your lives. They want to destroy your livelihoods. Look, this is what the COVID lockdowns were all about. Same thing. We are dealing with a spiritual battle. This is a war. One of the things that Tulsi Gabbard said in her exit speech yesterday, which was brilliant, I mean, go follow her on Twitter and go listen to her exit speech on video because it's really phenomenal. But one of the things she talked about was believers, people of faith, any faith. She said the Democrats just have zero respect for people of faith They mock them and they try to destroy them and I can't be a part of that. She sort of gets it. I mean, I think she gets it across the board, but she certainly sort of gets the spiritual angle of all of this, which makes her a very unique character in American life and of course drives the deep state even crazier. Here's another big point, guys. If Donald Trump runs again, I predict he will choose Tulsi Gabbard as his running mate. I said this in the early summer. I've said it to my friends. It is my prediction. I had no idea she was going to flip like this. I'm glad that she did. But in early summer this year, I took a look at her and I said, Tulsi Gabbard is going to be the running mate for Donald Trump. He believes he needs a woman, whether you agree with that or not. But I think Tulsi would be an inspired choice. Let's see if she actually joins the Republican Party or she may stay as an independent. Who knows? I don't know. But my prediction is that Tulsi Gabbard will be Donald Trump's running mate should he choose to run. I stand by that prediction. Watch. We will see. Okay, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to take apart a little bit more about what the Democrats are facing and why Tulsi's defection is bigger than just Tulsi Gabbard. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, 
eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, welcome back. Back on Tulsi Gabbard and her defection. You know, the Democrats are trying desperately to shrug all of this off, like they don't care about her and that it's no big deal. But make no mistake, Tulsi Gabbard leaving the Democratic Party is an indication of a political earthquake that's rumbling right under the surface. All of these major core Democratic constituencies are fleeing the party in droves. Latinos, black voters, young voters, women, they're all fleeing the scene of the accident. Tulsi Gabbard is a major indicator of what is going on. Okay, so... All of this has them in an all-consuming panic. Don't believe them when they say, well, Tulsi hasn't really been with us for a while, so we don't really care. She's not in office anymore. It's not like she's tipping control of Congress by shifting and so on. So they're trying to downplay this, but make no mistake about it. This, this move by Tulsi is an indicator of what is going on at large in the party. And that's why the Democrats are talking nonstop about abortion to try to keep women in the fold. This is why the Biden administration is doing the student loan forgiveness and the marijuana policy to try to keep young voters in the fold. This is why they're doing the big money giveaways to try to keep all Democrats in the fold. All of this reeks of desperation because they know what's going on. And by the way, this is exactly one of the biggest reasons why the Biden administration has kept a wide open border. Because they believe if they can flood the zone, flood the country with illegals, and then get them all on a path to citizenship, that they will build in a new democratic constituency for themselves. That all of those people, they give them all kinds of freebies and they're not going to want to vote against their self-interest. They're going to want to keep the freebies going so they're going to vote Democrat. This is what they're doing. They're trying to replace the people and they're all saying the great replacement theory, but what do you think is actually going on? They are trying to flood the zone with new voters because they know that they're losing the voters that they currently have. Latinos, women, younger voters, black voters. Black women voters are the most devoted constituency to the Democratic Party. So they're hanging on to the Dems. But all these other groups are like, yeah, we're done. 
we're done. And, you know, I think maybe one of the great ironies, <laughs> one of the great ironies of the wide open border is that so many of these Latinos will come in the country and end up voting Republican. If only, from my lips to God's ears, if only, okay? But all of this is incredibly desperate. So don't believe the Democrats for one second when they say that they don't care about Tulsi. Of course they care about Tulsi. She is the canary in the coal mine. She is the canary in the coal mine, guys. And she matters. And she's going to matter more when she's Donald Trump's running mate. Watch. All right, I want to switch gears here before we turn to the great Larry Kudlow to join us about the economy. I want to switch gears about the nominal president versus the real president. So the nominal president, uh, Joe Biden, president in name only, or Pino, Joe Biden gave an interview to Jake Tapper last night on CNN, and he made some remarks about the recession. Listen. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now how uh, every, every six months they say this. Every six months they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't, there, there has, there is no, there's no guarantee that there's going to be, I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. So Joe Biden, the nominal president, or Pino, president in name only, believes that we're not in a recession, except we are in a technical recession traditionally defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth. We're already in one. But you've got longtime Democrats like Jamie Dimon, Larry Summers, who are saying, wait a minute, we're going to get worse. This this is going to get worse. This is going to get a lot economically darker than where we are. And Biden's out there whistling past the graveyard. Oh, we're not in a recession. But if we have one, it's going to be slight. Listen, these are the same people who have lied to us for the last, going on two years now about the economy. Oh, guys, don't worry. Inflation is just going to be transitory. Biden, Harris, Yellen, Powell, all of these clowns. Don't worry about it. It's just, it's a temporary situation. It's going to get better. No recession, no inflation. Come on. Gas prices, don't worry. Oh, we brought gas prices down by a buck a gallon. Well, it's still four fifty, five bucks. Yeah, but we're doing you a big favor by bringing it down. Well, you created the problem to begin with. Oh, oh, no one's paying attention to that. Everybody is paying attention to that. They're taking gaslighting to next level. Okay, so there you've got the nominal president just the the show pony out there, the senile show pony, talking to Jake Tapper, saying, ah, recession, don't worry about it. Just like they told us, don't worry about everything else. Don't worry about the border. Don't worry about uh, gas prices. Don't worry about inflation. Don't worry. They're all liars. They've been lying through their teeth since day one. We know this. So that's the senile nominal president. But I wonder what the real president thinks. The other day I tweeted, Biden is chilling in Delaware this Saturday night. I wonder what the actual president is up to. That tweet went viral because it's true. Everybody knows that Biden is not the actual president. The actual president is hanging out in Martha's Vineyard and or Hawaii. Everyone knows that the Obamas are running the show. 
and they're doing it via Susan Rice in the White House, the head of domestic policy when she is a foreign policy person. So everybody is pretty well aware that it's Barack and Michelle who are running the country. And now we know that Barack is just as much of a liar as he's always been. Remember when he said that we, those of us who did not support him or the Democrats, that we cling to our guns and our religion? Remember that contempt he had for us that just dripped from him? And then Hillary picked up on it by calling us the deplorables, and Joe Biden has picked up on it as well. That absolute contempt for people who disagree with them, who actually love America. Yeah, well, Barack Obama has not changed. Obama has described all of us as angry, racist, and sexist. This was just recently over the summer in a private conversation with, get this, some of Europe's elites. <laughs> well, of course. Here's what he said, quote, Sometimes it just turns out that they're mean, they're racist, they're sexist, they're angry. And your job is then to just beat them because they're not persuadable. Again, Obama said this privately to European leaders in June after speaking publicly at the Copenhagen Democracy Summit. But he also warned them away from sometimes getting too, quote, filled up in our own self-righteousness. Lord knows he doesn't take his own advice, right? He said, quote, we're so convinced that we're right that we forget what we are right about. Well, they're not right about anything, um, but he's trying to look reasonable there with that comment, but we all know they're the last thing from reasonable. So Obama has not really been visible on the campaign trail for the midterm elections. Of course, he can't be visible because he's actually running the country. So he doesn't want to be the lightning rod. He doesn't want to be out there really campaigning for people and so on. First of all, he doesn't want to step on anybody. But secondly, he doesn't want to step on Biden. But secondly, you know, he really doesn't want to draw attention to himself because he is the actual president. If Democrats lose big on November 8th, get this, Obama is preparing a summit to rally his party two weeks after Election Day. The event is described as a, quote, democracy forum, which will focus on the future of global democracy. Here's how it reads. Obama wrote this in a letter to his donors, quote, we'll explore a range of issues from strengthening institutions and fighting disinformation to promoting inclusive capitalism and expanded pluralism that will shape democracies for generations to come. All euphemisms here covering up for their actual agenda, which of course is communism. All of these things that they talk about, strengthening institutions, fighting disinformation, guys, all of this stuff is what they are doing. They are destroying our institutions. They are disseminating disinformation. They are destroying free market capitalism. They are doing this multi-pronged attack against actual democracy. So everything they say is the exact opposite of what they are doing. They are destroyers. Communists destroy so that they can rebuild a communist system. 
They're not out there trying to preserve or strengthen anything that makes America great. The exact opposite. They are there to destroy those things. One final word on this. All of this that Obama is doing is geared for Michelle. I hope I am wrong about this, but my sense is Michelle Obama might run for president, in which case we face a very, very big challenge. So pray that she doesn't. But it seems like all of this democracy work that Barack is doing is geared for a potential run for her. We have talked about it on the show. Our friend Joel Gilbert has a fantastic documentary out about this called Michelle Obama 2024. Go and listen to it. Breaks it all apart. Talks about what a big fraud Michelle Obama is. Check it out. I hope we're wrong. I hope she doesn't do it. But it seems like all of this political activity going on on the part of Barack Obama is geared for her. He and she are both running the country and she may very well run. Focus on that. Pay very close attention to it. All right. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about the U.S. economy, where we are, where we're going with the great Larry Kudlow. You will get it right from him when we return. Sit tight. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome my very good friend and one of the smartest people I know, Larry Kudlow. Larry served as director of the National Economic Council and was, I think it's fair to say, President Trump's top economic advisor. He now hosts Kudlow every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Business, where I am honored to be a frequent guest. And Larry joins me now. Hi, my friend. Hey, Monica, my love. How are you? Great to have you here. I am doing well, and we've got a lot of economic news to take apart with you, Larry. There's nobody I want to turn to more on a day like today where we got some new inflation numbers. But let's start with President Biden, who gave an interview yesterday to CNN, and he was asked whether or not we were in a recession. And the president said, no, we're not in a recession. We may have one, but it will be very slight. Now, uh, throughout my entire life, Larry Kudlow, I have always been taught that two consecutive quarters of negative growth equals a recession. So technically, we are in one, but the president of the United States says we're not. And you say what? Uh, Well, I I say you should wake up and smell the coffee or even better, completely change his uh, big government socialist policies. Uh, I think... We are at a recession. Uh, at the very least, it's the front end of a recession. But I want to note that uh, I think it's going to last into next year, even though the cavalry is coming, hopefully to change all these policies. Nonetheless, uh, all of the inflation is probably the biggest problem. So you look at some of the key stats the soft underbelly of the Biden economy is real wages, working folks' pay is falling after inflation for 18 consecutive months, 18 consecutive months. And when you add to that the hike in interest rates, because the Fed has had to backtrack from their so-called transitory inflation to dealing with actual inflation, which they helped create in the first place. Uh, 
the Fed tightening hasn't really taken hold on the economy. That's still in front of us. So it will be very difficult, I think, in the next oh year, let's say. And th- the third quarter, by the way, is probably going to show positive growth. So that will confuse the issue. It's largely because of the better trade and inventory numbers. But underneath that, consumer spending and business investment looks very weak, continues to decline. Housing is already in a deep recession uh, because real income is falling and because mortgage rates have jumped up so much. And also, Monica, the stock market has had a very rough time of it. And uh, trillions of dollars of wealth has been lost in the bear market so far. I think the S&P 500 is down about 23% year to date. So I think it's a tough story. You know, I think it's a story that started with all the excessive federal spending, with the choking off of the oil and gas bigots, which helped to raise prices and decimate uh, uh, incomes, family incomes. And the Fed is now, you know, they made a mistake. They were printing money like crazy. Now they're stopping. Uh, So I've never seen an inflation rate go from 10 to 2, which is the Fed's target without a, a, a pretty nasty recession. So that's my best guess right now. I hate to say it. I don't like that. I'm a growth guy. I'm a supply sider. We should be cutting taxes. We should be stopping regulations. We should be opening the spigots to fossil fuels. But, you know, this little experiment in progressive socialism and modern monetary theory got us into a lot of trouble, just like many of us predicted. So, Larry, I, I know maybe you and I disagree on the motivation for this. I think all of this is intentional. I don't think any of this is a mistake. I think they are deliberately imploding the economy. And I've got two pieces of evidence for that. One, a normal president in a normal time, even out of sheer desire for political survival, would change course. We have seen none of that from this administration or this president. And the second thing is that all of these people might be incredibly misguided, but they're not stupid. Well, maybe Joe Biden is, but let's go down the list. So Janet Yellen, who was once head of the Fed, President Clinton's top economic advisor. You've got uh, Jerome Powell, who is no dummy on the economy. All of these people, Larry, for a year and a half, were telling us, don't worry about inflation. It's all just transitory. It's all just a a function of coming out of the lockdowns. Don't worry about it. Come on, Larry. You and I were on television and radio and podcasts screaming about this starting in April of 21 after they passed the inflationary American Rescue Plan. We knew that it was going to be a crazy entrenched inflation, and yet they keep giving the American people a line about, don't worry about it, it's, it's going to pass pretty soon, and it's going to be relatively minor. We all knew how deeply entrenched it was going to be, and I think they did it to give everybody a, a false sense of complacency so that we were distracted over there while they were ramming through trillions of dollars in new and inflationary spending. Well, look, I think that uh, motives are slightly different between the Fed and the administration. I think the Fed just misjudged uh, the whole story, which is not unusual. The Fed historically uh, has a very bad forecasting record, very bad. And uh, 
recent Fed chairman like Bernanke and Yellen uh, and now Jay Powell uh, uh, fall prey to that. So I, I, I think the Fed just missed it. And the consequences are uh, very difficult. So there's a whole topic here, maybe for another podcast about why the Fed models never seem to work. I, I do think the Biden administration coming into office had these progressive goals uh, and economic growth has never been a progressive socialist goal. Uh, they're, you know, into uh, big government central planning and Everything they do is tinged, I think, by two factors. One is this crazy global warming story, which has never been based on science. So they take out the fossil fuel sector and spend like crazy on all manner of, you know, Green New Deal type projects, so-called renewal renewables. Uh, the second point, though, I want to make is you see this more and more, the goal of Racial justice and the goal of equity, equity, so-called, which is to say uh, not in the American tradition where we uh, we all start at the same uh, equal point at the starting line. But opportunities are taken by individuals using their God-given talents. We don't finish equally at the end line. Well, they believe that we should all finish equally. And so they've tried to take, you know, whether it's spending policies or these uh, uh, racial justice boards that are springing up in the Treasury and the SEC all over the government, these um, uh, ESG policies. Uh, so I think in that sense, you're probably right that their goal was never economic growth. And I think the most encouraging part of this experiment uh, is that it failed badly. So I think um, they didn't deliver the goods. So they took a boom. Trump left them with a non-inflationary boom. And in a year, they turned it into high inflation bust. And I think they'll pay dearly for that at the polls, no matter how much they try to distract. So the cavalry's coming. And I regard that as optimistic. But unfortunately, in the short run, it's a very pessimistic story. And a lot of Americans are going to wind up out of work. Yes. And a lot of Americans are hurting and the Democrats simply don't care. Let's talk about the inflation story, Larry, because we got a PPI number today, again, off the charts. We're getting a CPI number, another one tomorrow. But inflation is still running so hot, well over 8%. And actually, if you use the metrics that we used prior to 1980 or so, I mean, inflation is running at what, 18%, something like that. So obviously, the American people are feeling this every day when they go to buy anything. We do know, and you were actually there at the time, that in the 1980s, when Ronald Reagan was faced with this kind of galloping inflation, he and his Fed chair, uh, Paul Volcker, intervened to try to dislodge this kind of entrenched inflation. But it's a very painful and difficult process. And again, you were there. Remind us of what they did to get inflation under control. And it, are we facing the same kind of bleak picture going forward here if inflation remains? 
Well, look, I don't think the, I don't think this inflation is as bad as the 1970s uh, because it's shorter, at least so far. Now, we can speculate about will the Fed reduce money supply sufficiently and raise up real interest rates. That's an interesting speculation. At the moment, uh, Jay Powell has grown some bulker hair on his chest. We'll see if that lasts. But the 70s, uh, under Nixon, Ford, and Carter, uh, we had constant inflation. And inflation expectations were embedded. Wage inflation was embedded. Uh, energy inflation and price inflation in general. So to be simple here, straightforward, Reagan cut tax rates and deregulated, particularly on the tax cuts to promote supply-side incentives uh, to work and invest and boost the economy. So increase the supply of goods and services. Volcker uh, slammed down the money supply and uh, let market rates adjust upwards uh, as they had to. And uh, that was the correct solution. It was very painful in the short run very positive for the next 25 years. Uh, And the Reagan tax cuts basically survived. They actually improved upon in his second term and uh, fiddling around, but basically that that combination stayed in place. What you have now is uh, rising tax rates uh, on business, not as bad as Biden originally wanted, but nonetheless, uh, very heavy regulatory burdens and an energy burden. By the way, Reagan de- uh, uh, deregulated energy. So we're getting the uh, opposite. The Fed is slamming down demand, but the Bidens are slamming down supply. So if inflation is too much money chasing too few goods, uh, Reagan increased the supply of goods and Volcker reduced money. So that was good. It worked. It was painful. You had, you know, 10 or 12 years to overcome, but it worked. Right now, we're reducing the supply of money, but we're also reducing the supply of goods. And that is not good. And that's why this is going to be very difficult uh, until and unless a Republican Congress can change it. And you're probably going to have to have a Republican president in the White House in 2024 to really finish the job. Yes, absolutely. And Larry, also, don't we have this inherent tension between the Fed trying to mop up all of this excess money sloshing around the system and the Democrats who keep spending and spending and spending? I mean, you, you can't do both and hope to fix the inflation problem. Yeah, well... You have a point, <laughs> right? It's, this whole, you know, this is like a pinball machine on permanent tilt. I mean, this is just <laughs> not good. And I think that you, you I think you're basically correct. You know, I don't want to spare the Fed because the Fed has become this massive central planning agency. You know, trying to control everything, and the Bidens like that because they like central planning. That's part of their socialist approach. Um, so we need big, big reform. Judy Shelton has a very good op-ed today at the Wall Street Journal on this very subject. It's a point that Steve Forbes and I talked about on the, on the show last night, and we've all talked about it uh, endlessly. 
we, we need major reform. Look, think of it this way. Gov- federal government in all of its manifestations is way too big. It's virtually unlimited in its powers, whether it's taxing, spending, regulating, money printing. I mean, it's just gotten out of control. And that has to be one of the key policy themes that must change in the years ahead if we're going to fix the economy in a permanent way. Yes. Well, you got to have another political party that actually wants to fix the economy and not destroy it. So there's that. Larry, are you surprised at how fast the Democrats have destroyed the thriving economy that you and, and President Trump and the rest of the Trump team left them? That's question number one. And number two, are you disappointed in really the last two moderate senators, Manchin and Cinema, for going along with all of this in spending, in, in, in like insane spending and crazy tax hikes? Well, you know, I've been around a long time. It's not that easy to destroy a healthy economy in one year. Right. It's like not that easy. And it, it just goes to show you the failures of this, you know, again, progressive socialist central planning experiment. It just shows you how they can strangle the economy, which is a very sensitive organism. When you rob it of incentives and you take away free market capitalism, this is what you're left with. It's really quite remarkable. Um, as far as your second point, uh, Joe Manchin's had a rough year. <laughs> no question. He, you know, he was a he was doing the Lord's work. I mean, I was talking to him and came on the show, and he was steadfast. He understood the inflationary consequences of spending and and uh, was an advocate for fossil fuels. I mean, he is from West Virginia. But for some reason, he decided to go in with Schumer on this Inflation Reduction Act, which is really an inflation spending act. And um, he didn't even get his permitting and he didn't do didn't any help for his state. His polls in West Virginia have absolutely collapsed. He will not be reelected. I, I doubt if he'll even run again. So that's the unfortunate story. I know Joe fairly well, and I was quite surprised and disappointed in the way this thing turned out. Uh, I don't know much about cinema. I mean, I think cinema, by the way, is uh, better. Uh, she has a better record on spending and taxing. She is a big climate change person. Uh, I don't think we know enough about her yet. Uh, She stopped, uh, even though she threw in with the Inflation Reduction Act, which I think was a very bad decision, she was able to carve out the worst of the business tax hikes, but she couldn't take all of them out. Earlier, she opposed uh, big increases in tax rates uh, on wealthy individuals, successful individuals. She opposed that and the worst of the business taxes. Uh, so I guess at the moment, Monica, I'm going to give her a, I don't know, a C plus or something. But Joe Manchin gets an F. 
that's the, that's the only way I can look at it. It's a funny app because I think it destroyed his career. Yeah, I do too. And he's up for re-election in 24. And we will get a Republican senator out of West Virginia, yeah. out of all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So final question for you, Larry. You know, you often say that the cavalry is coming. We hear you say it on your radio show and Fox Business on that show. So coming on January 1 or 2, when a new Congress is uh, sworn in, how confident are you that we will take one or both houses of Congress? Well, look, at the moment, I think we're going to take both. I think it's a Republican wave. Uh, inflation, recession. But I think the other thing that's developed here in the last few weeks is crime in these big cities and elsewhere. Yes. And, and you sort of link from crime, you sort of go to the uh, illegal immigration problem, the open borders, the fentanyl, the drug problem. Uh, I think crime, you know, I'm, we're all watching it here in New York State, which is an odd place to watch a national trend. But, you know, the Lee Selden campaign is very interesting because of the crime problem in New York, which is, you know, look at Philly or Detroit or Chicago or L.A., but uh I think Zeldin's going to be uh, hopeful on crime. And I think crime is going to be a big factor when people vote. Uh, this is, again, a, a more recent development. But polling has consistently talked about inflation in the economy. And, and that's why I, I do think this will close very well for the GOP. They'll take the House, and I think they'll win the Senate. They'll pick up a couple of seats um, Rick Scott told me the other day on the show, uh, what did he say? 50, I think he said 52 plus was his number. So, you know, that's a reasonable, uh, that's a reasonable estimate. And I want to add one more point. Um, the roadmap put out by Kevin McCarthy, this commitment to America, which is a replay of Newt Gingrich's contract with America 25 years ago, is very good. They hit all the right issues, and I think you'll see them use that roadmap uh, for legislative strategies and oversight strategies just as soon as they take over on January 3rd or whenever they take over. Uh, McCarthy will be House Speaker, and I think they're very committed to it, and I think that's a big plus. As you know, it's not easy. You really do need the White House, but um, we'll see if Joe Biden wants to make deals. We'll see. Uh, if he gets, you know, beaten badly, um, I don't know that he's going to do a Bill Clinton, but we'll see. But I think it's a very strong statement, this commitment to America, very solid policies on everything, the economy, oversight, crime, border. Very, very good. And uh, they'll put that into place. Yep. And I totally agree with you. I think 52, 53 seats in the Senate. And I think we're going to pick up the House by a lot, by dozens and dozens of seats. I think this is going to be a much stronger red wave than anybody anticipates. And if we gain control of both houses, Larry, we can at least stop the hemorrhaging and at the very least, put a stop to Biden's legislative agenda. He can do a lot of damage through executive orders, but on the legislative side, including all of this out-of-control spending, we can at least stop that. 
So I, I agree with you on that. And from our lips to God's ears, Larry Kudlow. And also, Larry, I love that you're a natural optimist. You always have been, my dear friend. And I cherish that about you. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Monica. Love, love, love. Love, love. The brilliant Larry Kudlow. Watch him every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Business. Listen to him on 77 WABC every Saturday starting at 10 a.m. You will be smarter for it. I promise you. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, time now for the Wednesday email bag. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Antonio writes about a topic we discussed last Friday. Hi, Monica. Love the podcast. You're awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you, Antonio. I appreciate the excellent reporting and commentary on voter fraud and rigging. I must say, among the many topics these days that just drive me nuts, voter fraud is right at the top. It is simply infuriating. It makes a mockery of democracy. Best wishes. Well, thank you so much, Antonio. I am thrilled that you're enjoying this podcast and you're part of the community that we're building here on the Monica Crowley podcast. Thanks also for this email about election fraud. You know, we did speak about this again on Friday about the story about a critical election software company with ties to China whose president, the president of the company, was just arrested for theft. Was he passing along data on poll workers and other election-related items to the CCP? We don't know yet. But this is a case that could begin to blow the lid off the corruption of the 2020 election on the digital side. As I said on Friday, the regime that fabricated the Russia hoax two fake impeachments, the January 6th setup, and the stupid document dispute would and did rig the election to stop Donald Trump and the America First movement and get their own dark agenda back on track, period. Without election integrity, we have no country. They are deliberately destroying America, and we will begin to put a stop to it on November 8th. Thank you so much, Antonio. Really appreciate that. Okay, that's it for me on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for being here and for checking out our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that as well. All right, have a great rest of your week, and I will see you right back here with another huge show on Friday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.